The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Pay attention. Uh, these are words that I often heard growing up. My parents told it to me often. Uh, pay attention, Joel, because I would be distracted. I wouldn't listen to them. Uh, if you've been a student, you probably heard your teacher say those words. Pay attention, class. Um, when I played Little League Baseball, I was in the outfield, and we would get bored, and we'd pick dandelions, and the coach would say, pay attention, and he'd even whistle and snap his fingers, thinking that he would magically break us out of our distraction. Uh, even my beautiful wife, there are times when I'll be watching a football game, and my kids will be doing things they're not supposed to be doing, and she'll say, Joel, aren't you paying attention? Don't you see what they're doing? And the reason why we need to pay attention is because we are so easily distracted, we're so easily distracted, and, and we live in a hurried society where it's hard for us to pay attention. We're so sometimes caught up in our own worlds that we really don't pay attention to what's going on outside of us. And if you don't pay attention, uh, there's a cost. If you don't pay attention to a leaky roof in your home, it can easily turn into the major repair of an entire wall. If you don't pay attention to the weeds in your garden, uh, the growth of the vegetables can be squelched by the weeds and the beauty of the flowers can be blurred by the weeds. If you don't pay attention to your job, maybe you get a promotion and it can lead to a lot of success, but you don't pay attention to the increased blood pressure and the joyless living, there's a cost. Or maybe you have another late night meeting and it leads to the fruit of a distant spouse. Or maybe there are widows who aren't paid attention to and the only phone calls they get all day are from telemarketers. Or widowers who aren't paid attention to and they don't remember the last time they had a hug from someone. Or there's people who live in group homes and the only people who visit them are the ones who get paid to do so. You see, nothing is more damaging than when people go unnoticed, when we don't pay attention to the people around us. Now, in the, in the text that Beatrice read, um, I wonder how long it's been since people have paid attention to this leper. I wonder how long it's been since someone, instead of avoiding him, actually came up to him. We don't know a lot about this leper. We don't know his name. We don't know how old he is. We don't know how long he's had leprosy. The only thing that we know is that he has leprosy. Uh, now, leprosy today is known as Hansen's disease, and, and thankfully, it's not as widespread as it was in Palestine in Jesus' day. Uh, but in the Old Testament... In Leviticus 13 and 14, there are two lengthy chapters uh, that talk about uh, skin and infectious diseases, and they're like an ancient manual on dermatology. And in Leviticus 13, um, it says this, the person with such an infectious disease must wear torn clothes, let his hair be unkempt, and cover the lower part of his face and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as he has the infection, he remains unclean, he must live alone, he must live outside the camp. Leprosy, there's a lot of superstition and fear that were attached to leprosy. It was seen as divine punishment. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, you'll remember that when Miriam revolted against Moses, she became leprous, and she had to live outside the camp for a week. Or if you remember Elisha and his servant, uh, when Naaman came, the Aramean, to be healed of his leprosy, he wanted to give Elisha all these gifts, but Elisha said, no, I'm not going to take anything from you, and he sent him on his way. But then Gehazi, Elisha's servant, went after him and said, wait a minute, I'm going to get something. And so he went to Naaman, and he said, actually, my master does want some things. And what was his punishment? He got leprosy. So there, there was a lot connected to leprosy. Being a leper 
would be really lonely in Israel's day. Leprosy was a lonely disease. Um, they were required to stand at least 50 paces away from people. Legally, you could not get within 50 paces of people. It was a deadly disease. What this disease would do is it would kill your nerve endings so that you would no longer feel pain. You wouldn't pay attention to pain. So for example, you could have your hand in the fire and you wouldn't feel it if you had leprosy. Or it could be something as small as if you got a sliver or a splinter underneath your fingernail, your nerves would no longer scream out in pain so you wouldn't know enough to pull out the sliver and a small wound could turn into an infection and infection could turn ugly and eventually a lot of lepers would lose limbs, they would lose parts of their body. It was a horrible disease, it was a lonely disease. Leprosy robbed a person of their reputation, it robbed a person of their occupation, it robbed a person of their family, they couldn't live with their family, it robbed them of their friends, it robbed them of their daily habits, it robbed them of worshiping in the community of faith. Leprosy wasn't just a disease, it was a death sentence socially. Ignored, despised, avoided, lepers were. Uh, Josephus, who was a Jewish historian who wrote about this time period, he says this, the banishment of lepers differed in no way from a corpse. Rabbis spoke of lepers as the living dead. The cure of leprosy was seen as difficult as raising the dead. Lepers were viewed by society as better off dead. Now fortunately, we don't hear much about leprosy or Hansen's disease today, but the question is, who are the lepers in our society? Who are the people that you treat as lepers? That you despise them, you avoid them, you stay away from them, you ignore them. Now think about that. Who, who do you think today, if you had to say, who are the lepers of today, who would that be? The homeless? Yeah. I mean, in, in Orange County especially, the homeless... Um, situation is growing. Our homeless neighbors are growing. And, and a lot of the homeless people have mental illness. And I think people who struggle with mental illness today are some of the lepers of our society. Uh, Amy Simpson uh, wrote a book, uh, a wonderful book called uh, Troubled Minds. And in the book, she confronts the reader with the fact that if you have a physical illness and you go to the hospital, the hospital is like a hotel. But if you have a mental illness and you go to the hospital, it's like a prison. And she knows because her mom struggled with mental illness and she couldn't believe the treatment that you get if you have an appendectomy compared to the treatment that you get if you have mental illness. Uh, in the New York Times, uh, a New York Times bestseller, Tuesdays with Maury, it was made into a movie. I don't know if you've read the book or seen the movie. But in that book, uh, there's a journalist, Mitch Albaum, and he writes of a special person who was his mentor and his favorite college professor, Maury Schwartz. It's a great book. And the book recounts the final year of Professor Schwartz's life. And, and Mitch writes this, the Maury I knew would not have been the man he was without the years he spent working at a mental hospital just outside Washington, D.C. Maury was given a grant to observe mental patients and record their treatments. While the idea seems common today, it was groundbreaking in the early 50s. Maury saw patients who would scream all day, patients who would cry all night, patients soiling their underwear, patients refusing to eat, having to be held down, medicated, fed intravenously. One of the patients, a middle-aged woman, came out, came out of her room every day and lay face down on the tile floor. Stayed there for hours as doctors and nurses stepped around her. Maury watched in horror. He took notes, which is what he was there to do. 
Every day she did the same thing. She came out in the morning, lay on the floor, stayed there until evening, talking to no one, ignored by everyone. It saddened Maury. He began to sit on the floor with her, even lay down alongside her, trying to draw her out of her misery. Eventually he got her to sit up and even to return to her room. What she mostly wanted, he learned, was the same thing that many people want, someone to notice she was there. People with mental illness, I think, are treated like lepers in our society. I think people who have cognitive disabilities are treated like lepers in our society. They live in their own colonies. People try to stay away from them. People try to stay, uh, avoid them. People treat them differently, uh, and they can easily go unnoticed. Now, the leper in, in this story is sick of being unnoticed. We don't know how this leper has heard about Jesus, but he has heard about Jesus, and he has a desperate faith. And so he breaks the law, and he comes running up to Jesus, and he falls on his knees before Jesus, and he says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He trusts that Jesus has the power. He does not question Jesus' ability. He has faith. He has a strong faith. But what he does question is if Jesus would be willing to heal someone like him. And I think that's a deeply profound question and statement that he makes. For most of us here, we, we don't doubt that God has the ability to heal us, that Jesus Christ can heal us, but sometimes we wonder when we pray, God, are you willing? Would you be willing to heal someone like me? There's a man um, that has a relationship with our church. He's been in jail for almost 40 years. Someone from our church knows him, and he's been up for, for parole eight times. He's been approved five times, and at the last minute, it'll be denied. And uh, we send him our newsletter, we send him bulletins, we send him books, and he helps the chaplain out um, in the church or in the uh, church behind bars. And uh, we were doing questions of the month as a church to build relationships, and one of the questions was, if you could ask God any question you wanted, what question would you ask? And so he, he brought this question into the prison, and he asked the other prisoners, if you could ask God any question you want, what would you ask? And the majority of prisoners had this question. God, would you really forgive someone like me for my sins? It's hard for them to imagine that God would forgive them for what they've done. And for this leper, he's ostracized by society. No one wants to be around him, but he's seen the grace of Jesus. He falls at his knees, and Jesus, you are willing to make me, you are willing to make me clean. Um, you can make me clean if you are willing, he says. Now, Jesus' response to this leper is as scandalous as the leper's audacity, an observant Jew during the day would have recoiled in fear and in self-protection, the fear of being coming unclean by coming in contact with someone like a leper. But Jesus, instead of turning away, he turns toward the leper. And filled with compassion, Jesus touches him. Shockingly, Jesus touches the leper. And in his touch, Jesus removes the physical, the social, the spiritual barriers that this leper has. And yet, this... The words of Jesus speak more loudly than his touch. Jesus says, I am willing, be clean. Jesus willingly loves the leper. And unlike other rabbis of Jesus' day, Jesus is not unclean because of the rabbi's or because of the leper's disease. Rather, Jesus, um, his contagious holiness makes the leper clean. And once he is healed, Jesus sends him away and he gives him a command. Jesus says, go to the priest, nor fulfill the law of Moses. You see, priests in Jesus' day didn't just offer sacrifices for the people, but they were also dermatologists. 
They were the ones who would declare a person clean or unclean with infectious skin diseases. So he says, go to the priest, show yourself, be declared clean, because in that way the leper could enter back into community. He could be with his family, he could worship, he could get his job back. Jesus says, go and do that, but make sure that you don't tell anyone how this happened. He gives him the command of silence. But the healed man doesn't pay attention. He doesn't pay attention to Jesus' command. If you have your Bibles open, you will notice a switch in this story. That before this, Jesus is able to enter villages freely, and this man is on the outside. But at the end of the story, the man is back in the village, and Jesus is out in lonely, deserted places. Jesus has traded places with this man. And the good news of the gospel, this story is a microcosm of what Christ does for us, that he trades places with us. And the greatest symbol of that is Calvary, it's the cross. That Jesus was crucified outside the city so that we could enter into his holy city, enter into his kingdom. Jesus trades places with his people. And I think maybe this is our biggest fear in reaching out as Christians, as churches, to people who are the lepers of society is we're afraid of trading places with them. We're afraid that if we come in contact or if we try to go out and minister to homeless people that their problems will become our problems, that their conditions will become our conditions and I don't know how to talk to those people or I don't know how to love them. And so often we look at our own inadequacies instead of the willingness of Jesus to work through us to compassionately touch them. You know, psychologists tell us that a lot of pathology and mental illness today are the result of people being unnoticed, especially early in life. Somehow people are not noticed and cared for the way God designed us to be, and consequently, early on, people begin to internalize the pain of being unnoticed. Now, over time, people will know how to treat their symptoms for this pain. Some people become high achievers, and they pour themselves into their work, thinking if they just do a good enough job, maybe their mom or their dad or people who didn't notice them will finally notice them. Other people become entertaining, they become people pleasers. Some people withdraw, some people self-medicate through addictions, and some people addictively attach themselves to other people in unhealthy relationships. All of them ache for something that will address their deep need of being noticed. I wonder how many people we pass each day who are like that leper. How many people at your work, how many people in the community go unnoticed? And again, we are so caught up in our own world, especially this Christmas season. Man, when Christmas season comes, it seems like everything's in a hurry. We have lists for everything. We have lists of gifts we need to buy. We have lists of supplies we need to have in the house when family comes over. And we're so focused on what we need to do that we don't pay attention to those around us. But there are so many people who are longing for people to pay attention, to notice in very simple human ways, like a compassionate touch. And it's really, it's Christ's love for us that moves us to love other people. You know, Mother Teresa, I know we're reformed, we just went through the Reformation, but I think there's so much that we can learn from, from Mother Teresa, uh, who actually put the faith into practice. Uh, Mother Teresa said, uh, do small things with great love, Someone went and visited her work in Calcutta and they asked her, how can you do this? She ministered to the sick and dying people, to the untouchables of the Indian society. And someone said, how do you do this? And she said, in the face of every patient, I see the face of Jesus Christ. 
Another wealthy donor came to visit her work one time, and he said, I would not do this for all the money in the world. And Mother Teresa said, neither would I. I would like to suggest that when we step out in faith and we realize how Christ has traded places with us, giving us salvation through faith in him, and we minister to the lepers of society, that not only do we touch them with the compassion of Christ and the gospel, but they touch us. Uh, Matt has shared with me how this church is at work reaching out to people in your community. Uh, the Jen Her, that was mentioned in the announcement, Jen Her to women, young, young mothers. That's awesome. Mentor up. Some of you are involved in mentor up. You're noticing these boys who have gone unnoticed. Uh, for some of you, you're involved in elder care, noticing the elderly who have needs, who need to be visited, and then 40 days for life, paying attention to the preborn, paying attention to those who are so easily discarded in our society. But not only is 40 days about that, but it's also about paying attention to women who've had abortions and loving them and letting them know that even Jesus can clean them, he can heal them, he can bring healing to their lives. Um, at Anaheim CRC, uh, we have a small disability ministry. Uh, some ladies from a local group home over 10 years ago just started coming up, coming to church. And at first, people from church really didn't know what to, know what to do with people with disabilities. And so a small Sunday school class was, was formed and they had a class for them. And, uh, and then the leader of that, Steve, God worked in his heart, and, God, and Steve said, you know what, I would love to work with these people. I don't know what I'm doing. I've never done it before, but I would love to work with them. And so he has. About five years ago, uh, we would pray on, the sat on Saturdays. We'd come and pray for the church. We'd pray for people, pray for God to open our eyes to those we need to pay attention to. And Steve said, I feel God calling us to grow this ministry, this disability ministry, but I have no idea how. In California, there's many group homes. California actually has awesome benefits for families who have uh, members who have cognitive disabilities. Um, the government pays for it, so a lot of people actually move out of state into California so their family members can receive the care that they need. And so we prayed about this, but again, had no idea how to do it. Um, God brought some Filipino, Filipino families to our church, and uh, these Filipino families worked for a lady, get this, who owned 19 group homes for people with cognitive disabilities. And this lady was a Christian, and she wanted to have a place for all her clients and her staff to worship. But she had visited other churches, and the churches would say, yeah, bring them. But they would love the staff, but they wouldn't know what to do with the rowdy clients who would sometimes scream out or act out in service. So she said, I, I don't want them to be treated that way. They need to be loved. They need to be cared for. And so um, Nate and Toady and, and the people who worked for her said, come, come check out our church. So the first Sunday, she brought 20 clients and 10 staff. And, and they came. She said, okay. Next week, she brought 30 clients and 20 staff. Now, she has over 100 clients and 60 staff. So she kept bringing more people, but then she realized, I don't want to disrupt the morning service, and we have too many people. We can't all fit. And so we started having a service um, in the afternoons, uh, the second and fourth Sunday afternoons, just for people with disabilities. And about 200 people come, uh, over 100 with disabilities and staff, family come and worship. And the first one of these services, I was nervous I'll be honest, um, I wasn't very comfortable around people who have cognitive disabilities. Um, I didn't know if they were going to punch me or grab me. I mean, we have all these fears of people, like they're going to attack us somehow. And so we're so often in self-protection mode. So that first Sunday we had a service in the afternoon, I was sitting in the front row and I was listening to the worship team, which was made up of people with cognitive disabilities and people from our worship team. And they were practicing and I was sitting there and just praying, God, help me, help me to interact with them well, to love them as you love them. 
and there was a, a young man who had a disability who was sitting on the same pew uh, to my left. And he was wearing a pink shirt. He was sitting over there, so guess where I sat? I sat way over here, okay? And, and I'm sitting there listening, praying, and all of a sudden, I noticed there's a pink shirt sitting right next to me. I thought, okay, this is uncomfortable. And I looked at him, and he looked at me, and he just smiled. And I'm like, okay, God, help me. And all of a sudden, I see a flash of pink go in the air, and he puts his arm around me. And I'm like, okay, Lord, what do I do? And I, I just felt the Holy Spirit give me peace, and so I put my arm around him. And this picture is a picture of Shane and I. Uh, Shane uh, has Down syndrome. He's nonverbal, but he's one of the most beautiful people I have ever met. Um, his excitement and his joy when he comes to worship is contagious. And what I've found is that those people, the people with disabilities may not need us, but we sure need them because they have shown me a level of love and a compassionate touch that I have not experienced before. And so I want to continue to encourage you as you reach out through Jen Hur, as you do mentor up, that you as a community of faith, with the help of the Holy Spirit, would pay attention. What is God doing around you? Take time to notice. Who are the people who are unnoticed around you? And how can you trust in Jesus to give you the power, to give you the patience, to give you the presence to be with him in whatever they're going through? Again, I'm convinced that the more we do this, we think we're going out and serving them, but really Jesus continues to teach us the power of the gospel and the power of his love for everyone um, through the cross. Please pray with me. Jesus, we, we thank you and we praise you that you noticed the people who weren't noticed by the religious leaders in society. You noticed the tax collectors you noticed the prostitutes, you noticed the lepers, you noticed the people who had demons and they lived in caves and you drove them out and you healed them and you forgave them and you had table fellowship with them. We thank you, God, that you notice us, that even though we are lepers because of our sin, Jesus, through your blood shed on the cross, you purify us, you make us clean and you are so willing, you are so compassionate, you are so gracious. Not only do you give salvation to us to, to enjoy and to look forward to glory with you forever, but you give it to us that we may not remain silent. We don't have the command to remain silent, but we have the command to share. We have the command to make disciples. And so forgive us when we are complacent. Forgive us when we sit on our hands. Forgive us when we don't pay attention to the many people you place around us each day. Holy Spirit, please open our eyes so that as we begin each day, we can pray and say, Holy Spirit, who do you want me to notice today? Who do you want me to serve? Who do you want me to share the gospel with? Who do you want me to touch with the compassion of Christ? And Lord, when, when things happen, like at Anaheim with, with the disability ministry or with Mentor Up or Jen Hur, uh, you get all the glory. You get all the glory because it's all because of your grace and your goodness to us. We love you. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.